This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. He is a genuinely funny fellow. He's just a fucking weirdo. Check his hard drive. Check his hard drive. That was class, that. In Context City Report podcast. It's a good job I can get to do this. Oh, you've already muted yourself. Fantastic. <clears throat> in the end, 11 wins in a row turns into 12 matches unbeaten for City. There's no dozen delight for the Blues, but was it one point gained or two points dropped? It's the City versus Chelsea review. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm Ollie Kerr. And this is the City Report podcast. Welcome back to the City Report Podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. The lesser spotted Saturday record for us today. We are jumping straight on after City won, Chelsea won. This episode will probably be coming to you on a Sunday. It depends um, how quickly producer Adam can get his arse into gear. But um, guest Adam, who are totally two different people, um, how did you? what did you think of the game? Um We'll get well, there's loads of talking points as usual, but as uh, at this point of the show, as is mandatory, uh, thoughts on the match itself, City won, Chelsea won. Yeah, I think if you took it just a, a kind of face value that Chelsea have a lead for most of the game and City fight back for a point at the end, I think you can say fine. The big picture of the the big picture of the title race, fine. It's not necessarily over because of this result. Um, However, the frustrating thing is the game played out exactly the way that basically everybody online predicted an hour before kickoff when the lineup came out. And we saw just about how Pep would set the team up. We saw basically the exact same thing in the 4-4 and the reverse fixture earlier in the season. Um, 
And the fact that it played out the way that we kind of all predicted it to play out in a mm. pessimistic fashion um, before <laughs> kickoff is is kind of hard to swallow. Yeah, um, I, 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 I tend to look at these sort of matches where I think the Liverpool one was similar, where if you flip the halves side by side, you get a totally different outlook. And Ollie, I think this is maybe one of those games where had we had the the first half second and the second half first, we're suddenly coming on here with a little bit of a smile on our faces because it feels like we've maybe got away with a little bit of a point. However, given how City performed in that second half, I don't know. It does feel like City left two points out there as opposed to just sort of picking up one. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think I said this almost immediately after the game. I, I do think the team, all in all, had done enough to win the game and to deserve mm. to deserve the win. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later, but if one or two players had done the jobs properly today, then we would have won the game. The, the performance <laughs> as a whole, as a team was uh, overall it was fine yes we had some chaos um <laughs> some absolute shenanigans here i can't deal with this <laughs> <laughs> i've got a glove over the mic because luke's complaining about my letter p's because i've not bought a mic what is it, what they call <laughs> pop, filter. pop filters yeah Booker's shirtless in the background no longer shirtless but we won't discuss any more of this before this turns into a non-footballing podcast uh, anyway this is certainly okay anyway yeah so i'll just have another sip of gin before i continue mm. <laughs> yeah i feel like i'm gonna need it to get through the rest of this one so yeah um look it, it, it was just one of those games where by the end of it we did everything right but we did so much wrong in the first half and do you know what usually when i've been quite bullish in the preview pod about a game, and I've been quite positive and optimistic, which I was on the preview for this game. I will come on afterwards and I will eat a big slice of humble pie and I'll give the other team all the credit in the world. I'm not going to do that for Chelsea. I'm not going to do that. Because I think in the, in the first half, we were our own worst enemy. And in the second half, we were our own worst enemy. I, I don't feel that Chelsea did anything spectacular, which is usually what it takes to go and get a result at the Etihad Stadium for any club. I don't feel that they played mm, out of their skin. Yeah. I don't feel that they turned up a different team to, to the one that's been so up and down this season. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it was all on us today. Um, mm-hmm. in, in particular, one or two individuals, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get on to that. So, sorry, Chelsea. Well done. Good point. But I, I think I think we beat ourselves today. It, it does feel like that. It does feel like that. And, but the weird thing is, I think some, not that they would, because it's been so rough for Chelsea this season that they're, they're celebrating a point and it's a big point for them. And fair enough, they've come to the reigning European champions. Um, I do think it, you know, it's, there's been a bit of a, a drop off uh, mentality wise for Chelsea. You know, two years ago, they were the reigning champions themselves of Europe and now they're looking a little bit, um, a little bit small time. I don't know. Anyway, that's a different conversation. But let's touch on that first half performance because I was, I was left gobsmacked. And um, it, it, the, the weirdest thing for me, I think if you'd have been watching that, not necessarily knowing the surroundings, if you'd have cut the stadium, the standout, et cetera, you'd have probably thought Chelsea were the home team because they, they had control of the possession. They were the team that was looking more confident in the build-up. City were almost very strangely looking to play on the counter-attack. And we've seen City demolish Real Madrid, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, all of these big teams at home in the last few years. 
What do you think was the issue, the main issue, Adam, in terms of that first half? Because for me, it was one of the most uncity-like halves I've seen in a very, very long time. I mean, I think it's a combination of things. Um, one being Manuel Akanji doing the John Stones role, um, which we've seen from time to time this season. And to be fair to Akanji, he's been fine in that role. Um, but in a game where you've got kind of these little needly players like Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez and players like that and Gallagher kind of running around. I, I want somebody a bit more composed in there. And John Stones is far more composed in that role than Manuel Akanji. Um, you've mm. got, you know, Jeremy Doku on the wing, who it's what Jeremy Doku does. He tries to take on his, his men. I'm surprised we got about five minutes into this podcast with his name having not been mentioned, such as been the reaction online. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, on. I don't want to come, come in here and just like completely mm. slaughter him. I've, I, I've kind of said what I have to say a million times in this is podcast. He, is he a meta? Like, this is how I'm seeing it because I don't think, personally speaking, he's done anything necessarily wrong he's got a certain playing style and he's being asked to do something and he's for 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 my money anyway he's doing what he's being asked to he's being asked to isolate uh defenders one versus one against Chelsea it didn't really work but we've seen it work in the past but for me anyway it's sort of it's a metaphor of what happens elsewhere and what necessarily happens when he isn't on the ball which maybe causes the problems I don't know if that's fair a fair assessment or not yeah, I think it's, like I said, it's a combination of a number of things. I think it doesn't help that next to him in the midfield is Julian Alvarez and maybe not mm. somebody like Bernardo Silva or um, you know even a Mateo Kovacic or somebody like that that can put their foot on the ball a bit more and be you know a bit more of a tempo setter. That, that felt like it was left to Rodri solely. And, you know, Rodri is Rodri. He's kind of a 8.5, 7 out of 10 every single mm. game, hardly puts a foot wrong, and that's great. Um, but I think it was just a, a combination of things that went against City. And, and look, I don't necessarily think it's all um, it's all on Jeremy Doku. I think Jeremy Doku is who he is. He's not going to change. I think if you're to blame yeah. anybody for Jeremy Doku in that game, it's Pep Guardiola for putting him into mm-hmm. a situation that was detrimental to how City were going to deal with Chelsea. And look, yeah. we saw it three or four months ago. We went to Stamford Bridge. We played a similar lineup, but I think only had two changes from this one. And City or Chelsea posted four on City. You know, the definition yeah. of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different <laughs> results. We all know that Pep is fucking insane already, but it's a bit annoying. Mm. I, I just sorry. Yeah, I, I just I just I just on. want to interject here on do on on do 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 doku. You confusing me because you pronounce it differently as American. You say doku, right? And you for us over here, it's Doku. Doku. It's do- yeah, it's yeah, Doku. Yeah. Doku. Count Doku. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, no, for, for Doku, it, it, I think he is going to change. I think he's got all the, the raw technical abilities required to yeah, be... He's great. Um, yeah, he's got all the raw technical abilities required to be a... Uh, to be somebody that can seamlessly slot into this team and play how Pep wants him to play. But it's not, yeah, you're right in the sense that it's not going to change overnight. We're not going to put him on the pitch, say, hey, Jeremy, uh, just a bit of ball retention today, please. That's not going to happen. This is, it's going to take a year or two of conditioning, as we've seen with so many players. It's his age. And I agree. I do think it's on Pep. I think it's, I mean, when I saw that from five, and I think most of us have the same reaction, we looked at that thinking there is zero ball retention in that front from five mm. none none whatsoever Grealish is unavailable the, the, the two main ones for that are Grealish and Bernardo and last season it was Gundo all three of them today are not present for one reason or another you put those five in as soon as that ball goes any further forward than Rodri it ain't going back 
Um, and Adam, I think you tweeted saying this is for all the people that complain about when we pass backwards. This is what you get. And you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, that's the first and last time you'll hear me saying that, but you are right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, for Doku, look, I, 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 I want to be his, I want to shield him a little from too much criticism. Um, just but because should, it's, the manager should yeah. be doing that, shouldn't he? And this, this is where I stand yeah. with, with, with Jeremy Doku because I, I think right now, um, we should be coming on this podcast and we should be saying, oh my God, Jeremy Doku isn't playing enough because when he comes off the bench, he's having incredible cameos. He's popping up with goals. He's popping up with assists. He looks electric and he's almost this player who like, isn't he amazing? He should be playing every week. Mm-hmm. The issue for me with Doku, he's almost been a little bit overexposed and, and that's that's obviously down to Jack Grealish's availability, um, be that through injury, be, be that through the criticisms he's had from the manager, you know, whatever. Um, I think it's possibly down to the, the recruitment in the summer. We know Guardiola likes a small squad, but was it one too many um, departures in that in that area? Perhaps I don't know. Only time will tell. But it, it just feels like he's been overexposed a little bit too much. Agreed. Not only was it potentially one too many departures, but the replacements for those departures were wildly different players. Mm-hmm. Neither Mateo Kovacic nor Mateus Nunes are remotely close to Ilkay Gundogan. Jeremy Doku is nothing like Riyad Mahrez. So it, it would have mm-hmm. potentially made sense if. As a whole, Pep Guardiola wanted to shift to some sort of different system with these new players, right? This, you know, ball carrying system. But instead, he's asking players to play in a way that doesn't suit them in any way, shape, or form. And I, this long term, City tend to get these decisions correct, right? The Riyad Mahrez mm-hmm. wasn't great in his first year. That worked out well, obviously. Um, plenty of players like that. But at the moment, if you replaced all of these, you know, control ball retention tempo type players with ball carriers who are more direct and a bit higher risk if the system doesn't move with them then you've just got square pegs and round holes and you're just kind of stuck in mud here Mm. and look this this is all this all sounds so crazy negative considering that if city win their game in hand i think they're two points out of first or a point out of first and still with a head-to-head with liverpool to come arsenal uh, head-to-head with arsenal still Mm. to come City could be 10 points clear in, in you know, mid-April, late April if we want it to be. But um, I think it's just so frustrating that the issues are screaming at us. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one that I want to pick up because, um, you know, we, we spoke about Doku. Maybe we'll leave that now because, um, like you say, Ollie, we, we do want to be careful. He's in his first season. And I think it was maybe Joe Butterfield in the week said the, the, say, the comment of, you know, it's crazy just how well he's done in his first season because a lot of players in their first season under Guardiola don't do this well and, and fair play to him for that. Um, however, that fucking midfield man, um, which, which is in inverted commas because what it is absolutely, absolutely not a midfield at all. Um, uh, Mamala Kanji, incredible pickup, wonderful addition. Is he the man to be stepping in for John Stones? Literally, um, when, when he's going into midfield? No, um, I, I think that's sort of plain and simple. Could maybe ask a question, why John Stones played 90 minutes in Copenhagen in midweek when this game was at the weekend? I don't know. That's for the manager, who I think is, um, for the first time in a long time, Guardiola's had quite a bit of deserved criticism with the team selection. And the biggest one, I think, is Julian Alvarez. And I just want to start off by saying, I've seen a lot of people um, coming out with the claims that Julian Alvarez can't do that role in midfield full stop. And I think that's just 
a flat-out lie. We saw in the first half of the campaign when Kevin De Bruyne wasn't there that Alvarez did well and he was playing underneath Haaland almost, doing the dirty work for Haaland to, to go and at least have chances, not necessarily score them all, but he was still doing that work. But Oli, together, it's not working. And I just don't know what else needs to be said about it because maybe there's absentees that, that Kovacic would have played, Rico Lewis, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what Guardiola's seen at this point because in the past we've been able to make excuses, we've been able to say perhaps this is this, this is that, but at the moment, my head's gone. It's just, it was too forced today. It was too much. It was too much. One of them has got to go today between Doku and Alvarez. One of those two should not be in that starting lineup. Whether you go for an extra body in midfield with Kovacic and relieve Akanji of his duties moving forward, whether you, uh, I mean, Kovacic obviously hasn't been fit, but even if you put in Nunes, Rico Lewis, perhaps somebody to relieve Akanji of that duty, or you drop one of them out for somebody better with ball retention. I mean, I say that the only candidate for that at the moment that is fit is Bernardo Silva. But to play both of them is, yeah, it's, it's just. Kind of insane. I mean, I don't think, Adam, that Pep was necessarily shoehorning Doku into a role he's not fit for. Um, I think Pep has just gone out there today almost with a fuck it mentality of let's just throw everyone in there that's going to be a bit of chaos ball going forward. Um, why? I don't know, because we do have the capacity to completely and utterly suffocate Chelsea. Um, but, look, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but to go with five players up at the top end of the pitch, none of which are great at recycling the ball and retaining possession and controlling the pitch. just It, it just screams madness. It, it really does. Mm. And, I, and I hate questioning Pep because he's he's the greatest ever, right? Who are we to question him? But mm. I think games like today, yeah, you can look at that lineup. You can look at how the game played out and say, mm, yeah, that, I mean, that was that was probably a bit silly. Chuck Bernardo in, Chuck Rico Lewis in perhaps. Um, but between Doku and Alvarez, as much as I love Alvarez, I, I don't think he is. He can do a job at the number ten uh, in and around the midfield, but it, it's not his natural position. He, the the kid is a striker. He's a very different mould to Harlem, but he is a striker, and uh, I, I think. I also do think that going forward, we maybe need to be looking at how we can use him more consistently as well, because it's it's just not the place for him. That's Phil Foden's spot where I'm concerned. Yeah, I think to give some credit to Pep, um, when we look at that bench and think who who could have made the difference from a ball retention and control point of view, mm. obviously John Stones to come in and do that Akanji role would have been um, an upgrade. It's John Stones. Can he can he play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday at the moment? We never really but know should, with him. Should he have played? The Tuesday match in Copenhagen. That, that, that feels, that's a different that question. A weird. That's a different question. You know, that's that's another thing that is so maddening about this is that that game against Copenhagen was the first time this whole season we saw that treble winning lineup, where we mm. saw that front five of Grealish, Bernardo, Foden, De Bruyne, Holland, Rodri behind them. You've got you know control from the wings, and you've got the guile and and the you know direct from from um from Holland and De Bruyne in midfield. Well, obviously Holland at a striker, but um that's what's so frustrating is we we had the recipe. We had we had it all right in front of us a mere mere 72 hours ago and then we revert back to this kind of chaos that has not served City well at any mm. point this season. Um and and like I said to give some credit to Pep, 
how fit was Bernardo Silva? We we saw him take a pretty nasty knock in the Copenhagen game. Um, he had a big old hole in his sock and a big bruise on his ankle. Maybe he wasn't fit to play 90, but I guess he was fit to play 25 or 30. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss with what, what the thinking was here. Um, can, can other than potentially the better options just weren't fit enough. Oh, anyway, Ross, I want to ask, I'm going to pull rank here. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you because we're all very focused on who we maybe could have played instead. Yeah. Now, when we spoke on the preview show, I mentioned Alvarez playing right wing potentially. You said, you know, mm. it's not really his place. He's not been there for years. So fine. Okay. But one of the areas we ran into trouble a lot and that caused some of the counter attacks in the first half was when we lost the ball through the middle of the pitch, deep through the middle of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Would it have benefited us, instead of making a change to the starting lineup in terms of personnel, having Foden in those tight pockets in the middle and Alvarez out wide instead? Could we have kept the same personnel, switched those two mm. players and maybe seen a bit of a different result? I think so. It, it, it's interesting you say that. I, I, I And I've watched copious amounts of Julian Alvarez play football. Um, I, I'm convinced my sleeping pattern is fucked up because of the amount of times I stayed up watching him play uh, when he was at River Plate. He just isn't, he isn't a right winger, but it's interesting you say that because I don't know how often it was picked up on TV, how often it was picked up in the ground, but for chunks of the first half in particular, maybe even the second half, De Bruyne went out wide and, De, and, and Kevin De Bruyne was the guy almost the furthest out on the right-hand side. And, and it was clear that, you know, it was just a bit too clunky in that midfield. And I think that's the issue um, that when you have De Bruyne, Alvarez and Foden in there, because, okay, take Docker out of the equation. He's a touchline hugger. That's great. You've got your width. You could just maybe ask for a little bit more. Um, but with those three players, we know they want to drift inside. Even if you have Alvarez as a right winger, he's not a touchline winger. He's not a beat the man. He's going to want to come inside as well. Phil Foden's, that's been his entire career. When he has been a winger, he's been a, a sort of a drift inside. And obviously, Kevin De Bruyne, you want him in those pockets. You don't necessarily want him out wide. And it just felt like one too many. And I don't know. Um, I don't know necessarily if it was a personnel problem because, look, like you say, Adam, that the, the bench was stretched. My issue with this, though, is when you look at, and, and Guardiola is not famous for making substitutions at the best of times, so who knows if he would have maybe turned to the bench, but I just feel like maybe if you have a Julian Alvarez coming off the bench, it's something different. If you have a Doku coming off the bench, he's going up against tired legs and the defence hasn't necessarily worked him out. Are you going to drop Foden? Absolutely not. I think you could maybe, maybe, and I'll leave this as the last point before we go for the break because I do want to touch on some of the good things in the second half. But maybe it was one of those games where you leave De Bruyne on the bench and he comes on and he and he has that he has that sort of incredible um, atmosphere uplift that he had against Everton. At the moment, I just think it's too clunky in that midfield, and one of them has to drop. Um, I'll leave that one with you. The City Report the podcast does not endorse this call to leave De Bruyne <laughs> on the bench against hey, Chelsea. It worked wonders last week against Everton. <laughs> I just well, absolutely wonders last week. I just want to say, I mean, could could there not have been just a change in instruction? Then you know there was a there was a stretch for like ten minutes in that second half where every single time City got the ball in the attacking half, it would get to Nathan Ake, it would get to Jeremy Doku. He tried to take on Malagusto. He would either not beat Malagusto, or if he did, Axel Disasi would come in and smash him to bits, and mm. it would go out for a corner, or he'd lose the ball, and it would go the other way. Whatever. Could there not be a change in instruction if we're seeing this 10-minute period where it's just not working? Could there not be a shout from the bench to say, hey, do something different? 
get the ball around to Foden or whatever it may be. But you know, he it, did it in the felt- second half when we were chasing that winner. He did, and it was just going back to Ake. The creativity down that side of the pitch was appalling. Mm. Like genuinely, every time it went over to to our side, I'm over in the Colin Bell, and so we had Doku and Ake down our side. And we're pushing for a winner. It was just going back and forth between them. Doku mm. was taking a couple of steps forward, hesitating, looking back. There's Ake. Give it back to Ake. Ake moves it around, goes back to you know the, that right side was where the danger was between Foden, between De Bruyne, between Bernardo. That left side, I, even when when he did try and switch it up, Adam, it was it was painful, man. It was mm. so painful. Doku was getting no joy running at the defense, and when he did look back, Ake, as good as he is, you know, finding that finding that last ball is not his game. Um, mm. That was a tough watch. That was a tough yeah. watch. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder if maybe um, Jeremy Doku could have been the guy to go on the right-hand side instead, just even for five minutes to see if there was something different. But um, look, we'll, we will call it there for part one, because I do I do want to speak about the second half, because it was a marked improvement. Um, listen, stay exactly where you are. We'll be back, hopefully, with some more smiles on our faces for part two. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The Etihad Stadium really is wonderful at this time of the season. And the same goes for McDelivery. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. First episode of the week. We will have five with you, but as noted, as, as mentioned at the top, sorry, um, this is likely coming out on Sunday, uh, mainly because we have another match on Tuesday. So just giving you listeners a little bit more time to divulge in our um, tasty review. Right. OK, second half. Um, there was an improvement. Adam, I'm caught in two minds. I don't know if it was because the Chelsea goal that arrived in the first half sort of made their mind up for them in the second half. They were going to have to drop deep or it was City with a rocket up their ass, as we've seen multiple times already this season in the second half, having trailed or struggled in the first period. Probably in the end, a bit of both. I don't know if you notice any major changes, but it was certainly better. I mean, I don't think there was necessarily any systemic changes. There wasn't many systemic changes you could make with that lineup and with what was a pretty stretched bench. Um, I think it's a combination of both. I think Chelsea kind of sunk into their own half a bit naturally, um, probably in anticipation for the impending wave of pressure that was going to come, and that allowed the wave of pressure to to come. And look, we 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 are you know. 20 something minutes into this and it's been kind of a negative shit show, but Erling Holland takes a few chances. It's a completely different game. You could say the same thing for Chelsea going the other way. They probably mm. could have had three or four in that first half because that city midfield and, 
and back four was total Swiss cheese every time Chelsea would break. It's not far off from being, you know, one of those famous comebacks that City are now weirdly known for. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the positive is they brought it back for a point. They did take a bit more control of the game, but I don't necessarily think that's because they did anything to change the system. I think it's because Chelsea relinquished a bit more control and um, and City took advantage of it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean shit if you don't take your chances. Mm, yeah, um, it, it feels, doesn't it, we come on here and we say, oh, if City had only taken the chances, it feels like a very simplistic take, but it it really was one of those those matches that you're walking out the stadium or you're turning, turning off after having watched at home or wherever you are, Ollie, and, and you go in and and look, Erling Haaland, by all accounts, has had a pretty rough time of it of late. I, I believe his, a family member passed away and anybody who's ever had any sort of... of uh, you know, uh, death in the family, etc. Will know the toll it takes, and and it's remarkable that he's even turning up to play professional football. So we send him all the best, but at the same time, the sort of player he is, and we saw it so often last season. He isn't getting involved in the build up. He in almost a weird way makes City worse if you as a football team you can understand what I mean there they don't play as attractive football when he's in the team, but at the same time he makes them better because he pops up with so many goals. However, his primary objective, if he's in the team, is to take those chances. And we've seen in other matches where he's had half chances and he's been criticised and, you know, um, people have maybe wanted a little bit more than than we can expect from him. And that's fair enough. He's such a clinical striker that that's understandable. But in this game against Chelsea, there's probably three that I wouldn't necessarily call sitters but they are chances that a player of his quality has to be taken in a game like that. This is it. You... you you can you can excuse Haaland's lack of involvement in any given game because he's prone to doing what he's the best in the world at, which is finishing the chances as and when they do come. But on those days when he doesn't finish his chances, which are few and far between, that's when you've got a problem player. That's when you've got somebody who is contributing zero value on the pitch. And what actually shocked me the most today was that there were a number of balls that went across the six-yard box that he wasn't even on the end of, never mind missing the chance. Mm. And it's funny because I was thinking about the amount of times we saw those balls when we were playing that false nine system go across the box a couple of years back. And every time that had happened, I'd turn to my dad and say, Imagine if we had Haaland in this team now. He'd be on the end of every single one of these. And today it was Are like... Are you now saying, imagine we had Raheem Sterling or Gabriel yeah. Jesus? <laughs> today, today it was just like... It's mad. He just... He, he, he didn't fulfil any... I'm just so... I'm so gutted, really, to see a performance like that from Go him. Go on, tell, tell the listeners how you described him immediately post-match in, um, I think it was... <laughs> Georgio Samaras, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was mm. the chant? Harland is Samaras, Harland is Samaras. No, um, but that's, you know, he he, on a, he failed to get involved in the game. Uh, looking at the Fop Mob start, he had the least touches, 27 of any outfield player to play 90 minutes. We're used to that. We can excuse that. That's fine. That's Harlan. Mm. That, hop- that happens very often when he's the player that takes the least touches. I think there have been games in the past where he's taken less touches than Edison. Um, so we can excuse that. Not a problem. But as I said, the problem is that when he's, number one, not getting on the end of half the balls coming across into the danger area, and number two, when he is getting on the end of them, he ain't finishing them. This is a man who 
is known for massively outscoring his XG. That's mm. that's that's probably the best statistical measure of a striker we've got, right? The XG is how many times the average player finishes that chance, and he always outperforms. Today he got one point five XG, one point five eight XG, and mm. didn't finish anything. A number of big chances, two shots on target, five shots off target. Um, really, really frustrating. Really frustrating. Now, I, I'm not going to go too hard on him. Number one, of course, as you mentioned, he's had some personal issues and maybe his head isn't 100% in it. And number two, that these performances are rare from Haaland. But these are big games. These are big games, man. And these are the games when when we need him. So my prevailing feeling by the end of the game was the team, as a team, had in the end done enough to come out with a win. We'd created enough mm. chances, we'd, we'd packed up enough XG, um, we'd done well enough dealing with the counter-attacks, but, big but, Walker let us down with the goal we conceded. Uh, he saw Raheem Sterling way too late. I don't know where the hell Walker's head was at. Uh, and number two was Erling Haaland, just failing to finish, his, finish mm. the chances that were put on a plate for him. So, yeah, that that's the frustration. I, I do think... I think you could excuse people for boiling this game down to we did enough in the end, but Haaland didn't do his job and Walker didn't do his job. I know it's harsh. I know there are are others on the pitch you can criticise, but they were the big two for me today. Um, So, yeah, hopefully we won't see too many more of those. Interesting, interesting, because my sort of overall prevailing thought was, first of all, I'd take the point because at at half-time I didn't think it was coming at all, but... I personally, the way I look at it, I can, I can excuse one or two sort of bad performances, especially when it's early in Haaland. I think uh, Kyle Walker's a different conversation because I think we've maybe had a, a conversation or two about him um, already this season. But my overall thought was something just, especially that first half, just felt wrong and, and needed a change. Um, Adam, sticking with early in Haaland, only two, this is from Squacker. Only two Man City players have had nine plus shots and failed to score in a Premier League game in the last eight seasons. Sergio Aguero versus Man United in 2017. Erling Haaland versus Chelsea in 2024. It has to go down as one of those games, right? You're not going to come on here and give a Goldbridge rant. Haaland's dusted. Hoyland's better. Get Nunes in. Sell um, Nicholas Jackson. How about him? He, we, we could get him. Um, and yeah, he maybe he'd be better striker look it, it happens doesn't it and and especially given those sort of personal problems he's had you can understand why his head maybe wouldn't be in football right now I guess you could maybe ask a question should he have played I don't know he just said he would he was ready to and he you know he would have wanted to put it uh, to the side but as Ollie mentioned a lot of the time with Erling Haaland what makes him great is when he's crashing that six yard box but there was a number of times today where a cutback would come in or a cross and he's either static or he's made the run too early or gone to the back post or whatever it might be it was just an off day I think well you could also say that the people trying to pick him out with the crosses were inaccurate mm, possibly yeah. but yeah I'm not going to go on a gold bridge rant um it's Erling Holland. The, the 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 thing that always separates the good from the great strikers is every, every striker has a game or a month or two months like this but what separates the good one from the great ones is how they bounce back from it and the mentality to always be ready for the next chance and one mm. of them will eventually go in. Um, you know, City have had their fair share of confidence players and players that, um, you know, have their ups and downs like your Raheem Sterling and, and Gabriel Jesus is. And um, Erling Holland isn't one of those players. I, I don't necessarily think he's going to walk away from this game and say, 
that's the end of my season. I'm not scoring for three or four weeks now. He's going to look ahead to the next game and think <laughs> I'll probably score three there. And he probably will. Um, so now look, if he does that, if he has that kind of game on, on, you know, quote unquote, the big stage three or four times in a month, I'll start to worry. But at the moment, as long as he's there getting on the end of those crosses, and obviously we mentioned there were some that maybe he could have done better to get on the end of, but as long as he's there and racking up the XG and getting on the end of, of these chances, they're going to start to go in eventually. And who knows, he may have another you know game like Leipzig where he puts in five in one night and you know four the next day or whatever. So yeah, I'm not... Uh, I, Erling Holland is far on the bottom of my list of reasons why I'm worried about City after that 90 minutes. Mm. Yeah, um, it is frustrating in, in those matches. You do kind of need him. That's why the money was paid. But I'm almost certain in saying between now and the end of the season, he'll he'll win City matches. Hey, look, he won City a match last weekend when it looked like City could have played forever and not score. Um Final talk about, I do want to just point out a massive, absolutely massive save. It's probably not worth a segment, but um, Edison at 1-0 almost kept City in the game. That's a gigantic save given the criticism he had um, in the week, obviously on this show as well. So um, yeah, fair play, Edison. But do Uh, those saves really matter if he came out of his goal once? Exactly, exactly. Um, Alison's better. Um, Ole, penalty chat. Um, What a surprise. (laughs) It's divided opinion. It's... First of all, I, I had absolutely no chance of trying to decipher what was going on. It was at the opposite end of the stadium to me. I, it, the, the frustrating part is just the game stopping for a minute and it's saying VAR check penalty. And as soon as it comes up on the big screen, the referee's waving no. And it's just, it's just, I still hate it. I'd still scrap it tomorrow. I'd get rid of VAR tomorrow. Anyway, um, I've been left in two minds about this. I'll let you take the, the, the lead, but it hits Levi Colwell's arm. That's indisputable. Should City have had a penalty for it, though? Yeah, I think it was a pen. Um, I wasn't sure at the time. One of the biggest indicators for me always is the players' reactions. That's that's number one. Um, the players were besides themselves at the time. I wasn't sure. Similar to you, I didn't have a great view of it. But since I've seen that replay, um, you tweeted it. A little bit earlier, so for viewers, head, head to Amos's. It's, it's the reverse angle, isn't it? That yeah, is yeah, yeah. Probably the most damning. Yeah. Um, I look at that, and I'm watching it again right now as I'm speaking. I think that is a pen. He's, I mean, it's the second touch. It's like you said. It's The first one, it's just kind of bounced down off his shoulder, off the top of his arm. But the second one, as he's lifting his hand up, he's, he's handling it, and ultimately the ball has come out in an advantageous position. For Chelsea, not for us. So, mm. yeah, but it is one of those. I know what's going to happen here. There'll be an extremely similar incident somewhere in the Premier League in the next four weeks. VAR will look at it and give a pen. Um, and there'll be uproar on City Twitter. Justified, by the way, justified. But it, it just feels like, despite what other fans seem to say, it just feels like we have quite a few of those. I'm thinking about Grealish's handball as well against United. Was it last season? In the cup, the FA Cup final, wasn't yeah, it? in the cup, and then we saw something similar near the beginning of this season, and it wasn't given. It's the inconsistent. I like VAR. I like VAR because I, I've we, we've. I, I just don't like the idea of blatant human errors completely fucking up a game, and VAR should be a defensive barrier against that if it was consistent. The problem is 
the, 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 the major problem here is the consistency. There is no bigger instance mm. to bring up than the Rashford one uh, with the offside last season. It's the consistency that kills me. So if they said, yeah, it's not a penalty, fine. But in four weeks, three weeks, two weeks, six weeks, if they come across an extremely similar incident, are they going to say not a penalty? We don't know. That's the problem. Nobody's got confidence mm. in its consistency. I find it pretty difficult to compare different circumstances to one another. It's a different ref, different game. You know, you, especially if you're looking at Jack Grealish last season to something that happened this season, it's just you can't compare those things, I don't think. However, um, I don't necessarily feel like this was blatant human error. I think it's fine that they went and looked at it and didn't give didn't give it. I, I don't think it's necessarily egregious to not give it. Had they given it, I probably would have said, yeah, that's a pen. It's funny because on the on the US broadcast when they were showing the replays of it, the co-commentator, I think it was Lee Dixon, was just basically like, Yep, that's a pen. They'll give it. Hundred percent. And then they don't give it. You know, whistles for full time. They go to the the studio on the studio broadcast. It was split right down the middle. Half of the people said it wasn't a pen. Half mm. of the people said it was. So, I think you know, it's one of those calls that maybe we'll talk about for a little bit. But it wasn't given. Fine, mm. I'm yeah. fine with that. Yeah, I, I I don't think anyone, myself included, is losing any sleep over it. And it's certainly. Um, not the reason why City didn't take three points. In fact, would you have trusted Erling Haaland to step up and score it, given the game he was having? Yes. Albeit with his with his head more so less though, less so his feet. Um, but I think was it Leeds last year? He was in. He, he handed a penalty away. Um, I think he gave it to Ilkay Gundogan. Maybe but was the game at two 0 He gave it to Gundogan. Leeds went. Gundogan missed it. Leeds went down the other end and right. And, scored and, Pe- and Pep a, was a fuming about it. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, I would he imagine was. he doesn't he do was. that again. But Erling Haaland spoke about the reason he did it and he said it was all about feeling. And I think if you're stepping up to take a penalty and you're not confident you're going to score, you're going to miss it. And he's a guy who who sort of, um, funnily enough, runs on vibes and milk and Minecraft and uh, all the other sort of I would say, interests he has. What I would say to Erling Haaland in that situation is, did you watch the last four fucking years? <laughs> you, you in a bad mood is still better than everybody that's come before you. Mm. It's just City and penalties anyway. We didn't get it. Uh, maybe we were spared the frustration of missing a penalty. I think that's probably what would have um, topped that entire performance off. But um, guys, it was good to jump on. It was good to chat. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. Ollie Kirsch, thank you very much. Thank you. And to the listeners that have mentioned about me getting a pop filter and saying the letters P and B, I've just ordered one as we are speaking. So... Oh go. my God. I've, I feel complete. <laughs> that is made up for the uh, performance. <laughs> Many of you might have seen the uh, the football journalist that went viral this week for having what looked like an orange peel on the end of his mic as a pop filter. It was definitely just an orange <laughs> pop filter, but I don't know what's worse, the orange peel as a pop filter or this dirty <laughs> glove that Ollie has on his mic at the moment. Quite literally a gardening glove that I've got. Stuck on I, I don't want to know what that's doing in a drawer in your office. We will leave that up to the imagination <laughs> of the listeners, um, of which, guys, we will see you later on this week, a match on Tuesday for hopefully City to shake off the cobwebs of this result. But if you enjoyed it, leave a rating, leave a review as always. But until next time, we'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. 
By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.